Hello and welcome back to week three of Brotherly Sports, the roundtable discussion show where we talk about baseball and dive into the world of sports as well. I'm Sam Wexler alongside the brothers themselves, Rory and Connor Billing. Rory, how are you doing this afternoon? Pretty good, Sam. How about yourself? Doing all right. What about you, Connor? Probably better than Rory, so I'm doing pretty well. Either of you watch any interesting uh, ball games this week? Uh, yeah, I caught a, caught a couple last night. I was actually really into that athletics game mainly because I had a couple fantasy guys. I don't know if anybody listening to this podcast has ever heard of the male machine, but he came up with the bases loaded last night. A's up too, and I had him in a 30-team dynasty, deep dynasty lineup, and the man struck out with another one of my hitters on third base. So that was a bit of a frustrating moment for me. Sounds about right for your fantasy team success. Now that we got the introductions out of the way, let's get into the standings for this week. Right now in the NL East, the Braves have a two-game lead on the Marlins, who still seem to be competing unexpectedly. In the NL Central, the Cubs are moving away from everybody else. They're six games above 500 and have a two-game lead on the Cardinals. In the NL West, the Dodgers are on a historic run, 22-9, and and four games up on the Padres. That's just an incredible pace they're on at the moment, a 7-10 winning percentage. And over in the American League, Athletics hold the AL West by four and a half games, even though the Astros did have to cancel one of their games due to the hurricane. In the AL Central, Twins up a half game on the White Sox and Indians, but that's really anybody's division in the American League Central. And out in the East, the Rays have overtaken the Yankees as the Bronx Bombers are starting to slide. Yeah, I think the the series between the Rays and the Yankees last week, the, where the Rays swept the Yankees, really switched up those standings there and. Jose Abreu is basically single-handedly helping the White Sox get closer in, in the AL Central there with the tear he's been on. So it's been fun to watch. I'd say the most interesting development currently is the fact that we actually have a three-horse race in the AL Central. I mean, I don't think coming to the season, anybody would have suspected that the White Sox, Indians, and Twins would be bunched up at the top there. It, it certainly looks like one of the most interesting division races to watch through the end of the year. And especially with the new format this year where at least two teams from each division are making the postseason, it's really wide open. Yeah, it really is. And, uh, again, if the season ended today, I'm going to say the same thing I've said the last couple of weeks. The Marlins would be in the playoffs. So that's another thing to keep an eye on. All right, let's move on to some standout hitters and pitchers this week. I really like what Luis Robert has been doing for the White Sox that you just mentioned, Rory. He's got an OPS of 1057 and 12 RBI in the last 15 games. The White Sox have been cruising to victory against my Pittsburgh Pirates, namely, and the rest of the competition they're playing. Well, everybody has been cruising to victory against the Pittsburgh Pirates, so <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not sure that means all that much. Um, I think you also highlighted the Giolito no-hitter. I know that's going to pop up here. A couple things that I've been watching from a hitter perspective – Kyle Tucker and Evan White, both two young hitters who started the season pretty poorly, have really started turning it around. Um, Kyle Tucker in his last 15 games, four home runs, four triples, an OPS of 1.25. But perhaps most importantly, he's uh, walked eight times and struck out eight times, which is a huge reversal from the beginning of the year. Another guy, Evan White, with some serious strikeout issues earlier in the season. Hasn't necessarily cut down on that as much, but his hard hit profile is um, really increasing. He's got a 1.2 OPS over the last 15 days as well. Um, he's a guy that seems to be getting more and more comfortable as the, the season rolls forward. And then 
I'd be remiss if I didn't mention Brandon Belt's current, as of this recording, um, 10 at bat on base streak. Uh, we'll see if he can keep that going uh, in this uh, afternoon's games. Yeah, Rory, you mentioned the Lucas Giolito no-hitter for the White Sox. One walk stood between Giolito and a perfect game. That's about as close as you can possibly get. Yeah, the uh, Giolito no-no, I tried to tune in for some of that, unfortunately, due to some MLB TV restrictions. I couldn't catch a lot of it, but I did, I did see a lot of highlights. He's on one of my fantasy teams as well. That was a pretty strong performance for me. But that last hit, I can imagine, can't imagine what he must have been feeling when that came off the bat. And um, then uh, it obviously was caught out, out in right field. So pretty awesome for him, especially considering two years ago he was the actual worst pitcher in baseball. <laughs> So it's a, it's a pretty quick rise to start him. Yeah, I think you could probably go down the entire White Sox roster over the past seven or eight days and talk about a few different guys that have been playing really, really well. The first no-hitter of the season, it's always fun to see, especially when it's a guy that's turned around his career, like Rory just mentioned, over the past couple of years. So they're a fun team to watch. I mean, I lived in Chicago for 18 months before this and unfortunately didn't make it to a White Sox game. But if I was still there and fans were allowed, we definitely hadn't gone to the South side for some of their food and some of the game, the way they've been playing. And Connor, you had noted that Jose Abreu was one of your guys that you liked watching this week, one of your standout players for sure. Yeah. I mean, I think he just might've hit another home run. He's at seven or eight home runs now in the past week. And he hit three in one day to the next. And especially against when it, it's even sweeter when it comes against a crosstown rival and he tore up the Cubs during that series. So He's he's been on a tear. I think it'll be interesting to see if he can keep it up, but he's a fun player to watch as well. Yeah, it was crazy. And Shane Bieber's still breaking records for the Cleveland pitching staff, even though they're depleted. It seems like he can do no wrong. Yeah, six and zero with a one thirty five ERA. I think he's kind of we talked about him a little bit in the first week, maybe, and then he's fallen off because. I mean, standardly, he's so good that you don't really think about it. It's really more of an aberration when he doesn't pitch well at this point. So just wanted to bring him up again after he got that sixth one. I think he's the first to six wins in MLB, and he hasn't lost a game yet, keeping that ERA really low um, and basically anchoring that staff while they, while they go through all that turmoil with some of their pitchers, obviously not, not following protocol. So. Yeah, that's been chaotic for them, especially since they decided to slowly bring back Clevenger and left Plesak back in the mm-hmm. alternate site because they, quote, didn't have room for him in the rotation, which most people were reading into it and seeing, oh, yeah, they just want to have control over his contract for an extra year with service time manipulation. It wouldn't surprise me. It happens a lot with, with young hitters and pitchers in this league, so it's very, very possible that that's <laughs> – that's exactly what the Indians are, are hoping for. All right, now we can move on to some of the biggest plays of the week, what we liked. I thought that Mike Yastrzemski's big catch in San Francisco where he collided into the wall was an awesome play, tracking the ball over his right shoulder with his glove toward the fence. It was just an awesome thing to watch, especially when it went viral on Twitter. Yeah, Mike Yastrzemski was obviously a very impressive defensive play. You know, he's a grandson of, of Carl Yastrzemski. I've really enjoyed watching him over the last – I guess it's about a year now since he really popped into, into the bigs. He had a great end to last season. He's been sitting the crap out of the ball so far this season. Um, you know, as a 29-year-old, you don't get too many chances at that age in the bigs to prove yourself. So it's it's been pretty pretty cool to see that last season's end of end of year really wasn't a fluke and, and looks like he's going to be able to continue that. Um, 
couple other things I thought worth mentioning from last week. We already talked about the Giolito no-no. The Marlins with their double header sweep of the New York Mets. Shout out the Mets both both games, both uh, seven inning games. I thought that was pretty awesome. You talk about a franchise in the Mets that doesn't seem to be able to get anything right or hasn't been able to get anything right for a number of years. Um, getting swept by the, the Marlins in a double header and not scoring a run is, is kind of a low point. Um, and then would be remiss, we didn't mention yesterday's boycott. Uh, obviously, the, the Brewers led the charge on that one. The Brewers and the Reds were the first game um, to cancel. Then the, the Mariners, Padres followed suit. The Dodgers and Giants did the same. Um, you know, obviously, uh, those issues um, need addressed. And so it was good to see the, the players take a stand. The MLB has not taken nearly as much of a stand as some of the other major sports. The NBA has kind of led the charge on that. So um, I, was, I was pretty happy to see some of the MLB players voice their voice their opinions in that way. Um, but that will also then lead to a huge slate of uh, double headers here on Thursday. Yeah. And you mentioned the New York Mets in the middle of that comment. I think it's funny how the Mets can't even sell their team correctly. It seems like they can't do anything in a normal uh, manner right now. Yeah, that is that is a rough organization. And that, the irritating part about that is there are some really, really talented players on that roster. I mean, you're wasting a lot of good years from Jacob DeGrom. Noah Syndergaard should be much better than he has been. I don't know if that's a coaching issue or, or what's going on there. I mean, a couple of years ago, they, they had what should have been the best rotation in baseball. And they just have not been able to, to put it together. Pete Alonso is a great-looking rising star. Michael Conforto, Jeff McNeil. They've, got, they've really got the nucleus of a very good team, and they just um, cannot figure out how to do anything with it. Yeah, that's so frustrating when you see a team like the New York Mets or the Yankees even that have every single spot on the roster filled well or at least uh, at an average level and just can't seem to put things together. I think it, to me, it's that's one of the exciting parts about baseball is it can be, you can have some of the best players and the best teams, and then any given day you can get beat or it doesn't get put together or injuries or the breaks. We don't really see that in some of the other sports. You put, I mean, that's why you see a Warriors dynasty in the NBA or the Bulls back in the 90s, and you see the Patriots in the NFL and these repeat winners over and over again. You just – we don't really see that in Major League Baseball as much anymore, especially when it comes down to the playoffs or you can go in with a season full of hope and something for whatever reason. It's the coaching or the pitching falls apart or a lot of times there's so much variability in the bullpen from year to year. You could have a really good bullpen one year, a really bad bullpen the next year, and that can really throw your team off kilter no matter how many other good position players you have. So – that's part of why I love the game of baseball. You just there's so many different ways that can make or break the game, even if you on paper look like a really good team that you don't necessarily see in other sports. Yeah, it's definitely a unique circumstance where you can have LeBron on your team in the NBA and guarantee yourself a playoff spot, but just because you have Steven Strasburg or a pitcher of that caliber, it doesn't guarantee you a playoff spot as we saw with the Nationals for the first five years or so of Strasburg's tenure in D.C. I mean, look at Mike Trout. Best by far and away the best player in major leagues the past six, seven years. And what have, what have the Angels been able to do with it? It's You don't you take the best player in the NBA, put him on a team like LeBron James, and it's five people on the court who's going to the playoffs. You take someone like Patrick Mahomes, look what he's done in the Kansas City franchise, arguably the best quarterback in the game right now, and he turned them into a Super Bowl champion within a couple of years so it's 
it's tough to see, to compare that to baseball. There are just so many other moving pieces that you don't necessarily get. Well, then the crazy part on top of that is the Mets and the angels. I mean, both have pretty deep pockets when it comes to spending money. It's not like mm -hmm. they're scrounging the bargain bin to fill out those rosters. So it is, I think the fact that, you know, in, in a baseball series or in a baseball season, you know, starting pitchers are so important and you have to have, you know, at least three really good ones, if not four or five, to really make a run of it by the season, end of the season, and then to win in the postseason. Um, you know, that's a luxury that most teams um, don't have is, is that kind of starting rotation. So, you know, one player can't change the outcome of every single game, um, which, which sort of brings a different dynamic to the table. And it's remarkable how the New York Mets had Syndergaard, DeGrom, Steven Matz, and an effective Matt Harvey and couldn't put anything really together, but things like that happen. Yeah. That's the, baseball for you. How far the dark night has fallen. <laughs> All right. Now let's move on to what we hated. So mistakes and decisions and plays this week. Unfortunate to see Steven Strasburg looks like he underwent elbow surgery again, and he's going to miss the rest of the season. Is it fair to say the Nats are officially out of the playoff race this year? I don't see that. Even if they mean – they might be able to eke their way into given the expanded playoff format, but I don't expect them to do anything. They don't have the pitching this year. Sanchez isn't pitching anywhere near what he used to be. Strasburg's out. Scherzer's still Scherzer, but not the greatest. And they're hitting their lineup. They, I think they just designated Kaboom for back into the relegation as well. Um, Trey Turner's starting to hit a little bit, but they just, they don't have the same chemistry and everything's not firing like it did last year. So I don't see them making any type of big play in the playoffs. Yeah, I, I would, I would definitely agree with that. I think um, the expanded playoffs, anything's still possible. They're not, they're not too many games out, but with Strasburg down, Corbin's been pitching. All right. Scherzer's been pitching. All right. You know, Juan Soto could argue he is arguably one of the best two or three players in the game. Um, I don't think you can count almost any team out at this point, uh, except for maybe the Mariners look pretty bad and, and um, a couple of other, the, the other bottom feeders, the Pirates certainly aren't going to make the playoffs. <laughs> but uh, uh, yeah, I, I think they're a wild, they're an out in the wild card this year, as opposed to making any sort of run. And, uh, I think that's the ceiling. Oh, so many thoughts on the Reds. I, oh, I mean, they're just, they're just bad. <laughs> I don't know if it's, the bell effect or the fact that he can't seem to make a right decision at any point in the game. They're also batting. I think a paltry last I checked 207 as a team, their on base percentage is a little bit above 300, but you're not going to win any games, even with Trevor Bauer, Luis Castillo, Sonny Gray, the MLB power rankings of pitchers were last week had both gray and Bauer in the top six or seven. So you have two of the best arguably seven top seven pitchers in the game in your six games under 500 it means that you're not doing anything at the plate so or the bullpen has probably given up at least five or six games at this point so there are so many things wrong with the reds that i don't even know where to start right now which is highly unfortunate given that they were a relatively strong pick to to come out of the central on top now given there are still 32 games left for them they could turn it around and with the extended playoff format if I was another team I wouldn't want to face a Reds team that gets hot if you face Gray Castillo and Bauer in a best of five best of seven series and some of those hitters get hot the Reds could beat anyone 
but they need to start turning it around now to even make the playoffs. And they've got to utilize their young talent in a more efficient fashion. And we saw how the Punisher was playing September of last year. He was mashing. And Josh Van Meter's not been as effective when they move him around to different positions and different spots in the order. And it's really just not clicked for him. Yeah, at this point, you know, um, sort of scuttling about it, six under 500, I, they need to – my opinion, Garcia got the call. We didn't see him play last night, but we'll see him play here soon. Jose Garcia, he's a good-looking shortstop. Um, pretty high on him. I think they should be bringing up Aquino. They should at least be letting him DH. You know, Matt Davidson has hit the ball well, but he's not the future in Cincinnati. Um, and then Tyler Stevenson. I don't know why Tyler Stevenson isn't playing at least three out of five games at this point. I mean, you know, Tucker Barnhart's a great defensive catcher, and I think he's a pretty good leader in that clubhouse. But <laughs> – Tyler Stevenson, I believe, um, has more – he has as many or more multi-hit games than either of the other catchers, and he's only played in one game <laughs> all year. So it's kind of ridiculous that he's not up. He looked phenomenal in that one game. A um, couple other things, you know, to hit on the on the list of, uh, you know, some, some not great stuff from last week. Aaron Judge popped back into the lineup and then immediately left with an injury – um, you know, as one of the guys for the face of baseball, it's never good to see. Um, and then I don't know if anybody watched the, uh, the Royals Cardinals game last night, but, and this is something that I've seen a lot of because David Bell has a tendency to do this, but there's definitely some overmanaging going on in baseball right now. I mean, Trevor, uh, Rosenthal has been phenomenal all year as a closer. He ends up with the bases loaded in two outs. The two outs were strikeouts. He wasn't missing the zone by much on, um, a walk to Goldschmidt earlier in the in the count, and then a walk to DeYoung to load the bases. And Matheny goes ahead and pulls him anyway for Randy Rosario, who promptly hits Molina to force in the first run, allows a single to um, allow two more runs to score, then walks two more people to force in the the winning run in that game. I just there, there's I understand that managers are trying to win every single game in a 60 game season, but there are a couple of guys out there right now that are just pulling all the strings way too often. And I think it's really messing with pitchers timing. It's messing with hitters getting into a rhythm. Um, and, and I think that's something that I would, I would really like to see stop, uh, you know, and hear this, this year. Yeah. Going off your reference of pulling the strings, you can't just yank all the strings on the marionette doll at once. Otherwise it just goes around in a circle and doesn't do anything interesting. You've got to let the gravity and nature take care of it half the time. And it seems like the managers this year are getting real jumpy with the strings. I think it's a combination of that as well as there wasn't really a spring training. So that's some of the hard parts. Sometimes you iron out some kinks in spring training. People get into a rhythm. You can get into a season. And it hurts teams like the Reds that added a lot of pieces in the offseason when you don't have a spring training to really figure out how everyone's going to mesh together. And then you have to try to figure it out in the first 15 or 20 games and get there. So I, I agree that some managers are handling this better than others, but I also think they're put in a pretty tough position to try to manage a 60 game season where every game matters without really a good, a decent spring training to get a handle on the new players that are coming in and out and how some players might have be better or worse from the previous years. We know happens in baseball a lot. So I don't know. I think it'll be interesting to watch this the second half of the season and see if they let it fly a little bit more now that they've got 25, 30 games under their belt in this kind of new format. 
now let's move on to some games that we're going to watch. Personally, I really want to see this Subway Series doubleheader between the Yankees and Mets Friday afternoon. Both of those teams have had some issues. They're not operating fully efficiently, and it could be a pretty fun series to watch with the rivalries. Yeah, I would say one of my games to watch, similar to that, Dodgers-San Francisco. I think the San Francisco, if the playoffs started today, they'd have to actually have the eighth spot in the NL. They've won seven games in a row, so they've actually started putting putting it together. And we always know that there are high tensions between the Dodgers and the Giants whenever they get together. So just added compound to the fact that both of them are on a hot streak right now and both are technically in the playoffs if the season ended right now. I think that'll be a pretty fun series to watch as well. Yeah, for me, I'm looking at um, Tristan McKenzie pitching tomorrow against the Cardinals in his first game as an MLB debut. He only needed eight, 80 pitches to strike out 10 Tigers, went six innings, allowed two hits, one run. Um, he's a guy that's taken not the straightest path to the bigs, but looks looks really good and, um, you know, yet another arm for that Indians rotation. So I'm interested to see what he can do uh, to, to back that up. Um and then in terms of, of players to watch, in addition, in addition to, to McKenzie, um, I'm still on some of these, some of these young guys. I mean, I'm kind of going to go back to my, you know, Kyle Tucker reference earlier in the broadcast about that people have continued to hitting. <laughs> Kyle Tucker and his five triples. I'd love to see him hit 10 to 12 triples over a 60-game period. I think that would be pretty crazy. Um, you know, the Astros are off today, but they'll resume hopefully this weekend if, if the hurricane devastation isn't too great down there in Texas. Uh, but I've enjoyed watching him play. And I think, um, you know, there's been some debate in some of the baseball circles I'm, I'm in, in terms of who's got the brighter future, Kyle Tucker or Luis Robert. And uh, Luis was sort of outpacing him by a good distance when the season started, but Tucker's starting to remind some people why he was a top 20 prospect for so long. So um, I'm going to continue watching him and, and, and hope to see him continue the hot streak that he's been on. I'd say for me, from a player perspective, I'd be looking at be interesting to see, honestly, Mike Levenger coming back, see if he can actually follow the rules this time and, and stay on the Indians roster for longer than a couple of weeks. And he pitched relatively well in his first start coming back. Now just to make sure that he doesn't try to hit up the nightclubs in between starts to, to ensure that he can stay, stay in the base radar. Yeah, and speaking of following the rules, did either of you see Yadier Molina's post on Instagram where he was essentially skirting the rules and completely spitting in the face of all the MLB guidelines for COVID when he was out with family members and other uh, family friends? No, I, I didn't see that. Um, I'll, have to, I'll have to look at that. I didn't see it either. I, I can't say I'm the most Twitter-savvy person, so you won't be getting any – funny quips from me on Twitter, nor do I see a lot of what other people post on there, but I'll, I'll echo what Rory said there. I'm not, it's very surprising coming from Yad, coming from Yadier Molina, a long time, highly respected veteran, even coming from a long time Reds fan um, and what he's been able to damage he's done to the Reds, always been a professional and really good. So that's like a little bit out of character for him. All right. Now let's move on to our Saturday game picks. I want to see Cleveland beat the St. Louis Cardinals. As you mentioned, a lot of good pitchers still in the rotation for Cleveland, and that should be an interesting game as St. Louis finally 
done having coronavirus and going out to casinos. It seems like they're locked in now. Yeah, that should be a good one. I'm I'm going to take um, Colorado over San Diego. Um, Ryan Castellani uh, pitched pretty well his last time out. He's not a super well-known name, um, but uh, I like him uh, to, to win it for the Padres – or sorry, to win it for the Rockies over the Padres. I believe Adrian Morajone is going to the mound for the Padres, and I just think some of the Rockies' bats are going to tee off there and um, make that a victory. I've got Houston over Oakland. I think Granky's on the mound for that one. It'll be interesting to see if he can match it with another 54 mile per hour pitch. See if he can strike people out. I think the old there's e- another the old the old Ephus pitch. I think there was the one in the not last start, but the start before. He was also calling out the signs before he pitched them. So I feel I think Granky's just having fun. I don't know. Maybe he's just. <laughs> He's just doing what Granky does. So anytime he's on the mound, I think it's fun to watch. You never know what's going to come at you. And it's been a long time, really good starting pitcher. So I know Oakland's been on a hot streak, but I think Granky will be able to be able to mow him down. Yeah, this weekend there's a whole lot of pitchers taking the mound that are fun guys to watch and that really love baseball. Tristan McKenzie, in his interview with Starting Nine podcast, talked about how much he loved baseball and Zach Granke, also a guy that really loves having fun out there now that he's gotten himself mentally right. He loves the game, and it's mm-hmm. awesome to watch those guys go to work. It is. Yeah. No, it's always – I mean, I think there's – it's always – there's always uh, – it's always fun watching the players that you know just love the game. And Beltre was that way is that for so long. The players are loving every minute of it. Um, that's what – to me, what makes part of baseball so great is you see that, and a lot of the players just love the game. I was just going to hop in with a Zach Grinke story that I read the other day, which I think just has to be shared. When Alex Gordon um, was a little bit younger and was struggling at the plate, uh, he was looking for advice, and so Zach Grinke took him aside, and Grinke's pretty well known as being a guy that studies the game and kind of knows a lot about the different aspects of baseball. And um, he pulled Gordon aside, and Gordon was excited uh, that he was going to get some sort of bit or piece of information that was really going to help him. Granky took him into the dugout, pops a video in, shows him a video of himself, Zach Granky hitting a home run, and just looks at Alec Gordon and says, "More, do more of that." <laughs> <laughs> That's fantastic. Yeah, I mean to wrap up here, I guess um, I'm just going to keep saying the same thing. I, I I've said a million times, and hopefully I'll say it the rest of the year. The Marlins are still on the wild card. And I really want to see them. Sandy Alcantara hasn't even really barely pitched this year, and he was supposed to be their ace. They're somehow still 14 and 12. They're in second place in the NL East. I'm going to carry this flag through the rest of the season, so I hope they don't they don't make me eat my words. Maybe it's the Jeter October Magic coming in a little bit earlier with the Marlins this year. We'll see. Yeah, Rory's carrying the flag for the fish. And Connor, did you have any final thoughts? No, actually, I think what I'm looking here, not even baseball related. I know we mostly talk about baseball here, but the NBA players actually just voted to decide to resume the playoffs. So it looks like there will be NBA playoffs moving forward. They haven't just determined when those games, um, the games from today and yesterday will be rescheduled, but the players did vote to resume the playoff, resume the playoffs after the boycott so that'll be an interesting situation to watch and see if all the players continue to play or if some back out or or what that looks like 
Yeah, this has been a wild 48 hours or even 24 hours. Mm -hmm. And trying to prep for this uh, recording kept changing by the minute, it seemed, because different things were happening with different sports. Different teams were voting on this and that. And, you know, even there's even the drama for college football seems to be going on still. And teams are undecided as to what they're going to do. Notre Dame was in a Twitter firestorm for posting something. And it seems like the internet was just ablaze for the past three days straight. I'd say the internet's been ablaze since the beginning of 2020. I'm not sure we're going to see that <laughs> die down anytime soon, but um, yeah, the, the, we'll see if anything happens with the baseball season again, they don't seem to take as much of a stand as some of these other sports. So I anticipate sort of a resumption of play here today. And um, you know, I, I definitely appreciate the NBA players doing what they did. I appreciate, the baseball teams that, that back them up doing the same, um, you know, and, but one of the things I was thinking about when a lot of this stuff came out too, was, you know, boycotting the rest of the season is certainly a message and, and it's a stand and it's something that a lot of people are going to see and, and it'll start some conversations, but truthfully, and I wasn't in those rooms for these conversations. I don't know exactly how these guys feel, but you know, the, the NBA playoffs last another three to four weeks. So and, and a lot of people tune into every single one of those games. I think the NBA could figure out a way to do something to continue the conversation. Every time you turn on the TV to watch one of those games, um, obviously the players have been wearing jerseys with different messages on the back. Um, I think that's the first step. I'm sure more could be done uh, to where we ensure that this conversation continues throughout the entire playoffs um, and um, do that in, in a way that, that a lot of people are going to see since a lot of people watch those games. I think that could be a really good way to, to send the right message and continue a lot of the efforts, um, you know, while the players are, are still playing. So, um, you know, certainly difficult to understand what a lot of those guys are going through um, and don't want to put words in their mouths, but I do think the NBA has an opportunity and, you know, truthfully the MLB has an opportunity as well to, to use their platforms to spread, spread that message over a, a long period of time. So hopefully we see some of that. All right, guys, thanks for the final thoughts. That'll do it for week three of the Brotherly Sports Podcast presented by The Fans Place. If you have any thoughts or comments on the podcast, you can email or message the brothers. Yeah, just info at thefansplace.com. Or you can give him Roy's personal email. I'm sure he'll appreciate that. <laughs> I'm not sure we have enough listeners to matter at this point, but... Nope. <laughs> one, day, one day when there are five million people listening to this and they go back to our third podcast ever and i'm gonna have to change my number <laughs>